Welcome to the Pastor Nick Santo podcast, a podcast designed to help you live closer to Jesus. We hope that God uses it to encourage and empower you in his plan for your life. Now let's get into today's content. There is a, a word, a thing that um, barely existed 50 years ago, a phrase that if I said it 50 years ago, you, you wouldn't know what I was talking about. Um, but today it's used very commonly. It's used almost every day. We hear about it all the time. Um, it's called autoimmune disorder. You know, and kind of the idea behind it is it's when the body, the, your body, sees something uh, in itself, a part of itself, as a foreign invader, and your immune system attacks it. And so, uh, you know, your body somehow sees your kidney, and the check engine light goes on, and your body, your immune system begins to attack your kidney as though it was a virus or a bacteria or some kind of a disease. And all of a sudden, you're having problems with your kidney. It could just be—it could be any organ. It could just be your skin. It could be any any part of you. Uh, and you start having problems. You can't figure out why. And and for some reason, your body has begun to attack itself. And so there's many causes, many reasons for it. Uh, why that could happen, you know, and the triggers and all that kind of thing. Um, but it's but it's become something that's somewhat normal. You know, the, what's going on with you? I don't know. It's autoimmune. I don't know why this is happening or whatever. And it's just kind of become a, a part of life in these days and uh, what we deal with. The, the, the problem is that it also exists in the body of Christ, is that, you know, the body of Christ, the Bible says that the church, that we are his body, that we are members and that we're parts one of another, and that we're, he's the head, and that it's all supposed to be one unit and supposed to be functioning as a whole, and it's supposed to be expanding and healthy and growing and productive and operating in its purpose and its reason. Um, but the reality is that the body of Christ has autoimmune disorders, and that is that parts of the body attack other parts of the body. And so rather than working in tandem uh, towards common purpose, uh, the body has turned inward and now it's fighting against itself. And not only is it uh, degenerating in health, but it's not fulfilling its purpose and its cause. And it absolutely is a problem. Now, there's many causes for autoimmune disorders in the body of Christ. um, And there's probably many solutions. But one of the solutions that absolutely uh, exists is what our Bible study is this morning, as we go through this list of things in First Peter, or I'm sorry, Second Peter, chapter one, um, that Peter in his dying days is calling us to diligently apply ourselves to, and so he tells us to add to our faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge uh, self-control, and to self-control patience and to patience, godliness, and then to godliness, brotherly kindness, and then to brotherly kindness, love. And so uh, seven things that we're called to add to our faith, and we've been looking at them one at a time, uh, what they mean, why they're important, and how do we do what he's asking us to do. And this morning we look at this second to last one, There in verse 6, where he says, uh, actually verse 7, where he says, brotherly kindness. Uh, And so one of the cures to autoimmune disorder in the body of Christ is this idea of brotherly kindness. Now, uh, the word that's used by Peter there in the Greek language is the word Philadelphia. 
And uh, that's probably a familiar word to you if you've been around the Bible for a while. You'll remember that one of the seven churches in the book of Revelation was the church in Philadelphia. You know, write these things to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. And what the word actually means is fraternal affection or love of the brethren. And so uh, phila is, is, is one of the Greek words for love, and delphia is brotherhood. So it's kind of like a love for the brotherhood. Now, in the New Testament, um, most of you guys probably already know this, is that there are four different uh, Greek words that are all translated love, the English word love. You know, so we have one word we use love. They had four different words that all meant love, but they were different types of love, you know. And Philadelphia is one of those four loves. It's the idea of brotherly affection, fraternal affection, uh, or as it's translated by Peter here, brotherly kindness. Um, now, the kind of love that this represents, what he's talking about here when he says that we're to add brotherly kindness, add Philadelphia to your life, is basically he's saying that we're to be growing in our affection for one another in the body of Christ. That we're to look at each other as Christians, as blood-bought uh, people, and, and that there's to be a bond that exists between us for no other reason other than the fact that we have a common father, <laughs> you know, is that we're bound as brothers. And if you have a brother, then you kind of can translate what that looks like or what that means from the natural into the spiritual, okay? So if you have a brother, a physical brother, same father, same last name, you guys might not be alike at all. You could be at each other's throats. You could, you know, have totally different personalities, totally different ideals. You could strangle each other and barely get along. But at the end of the day, you love him because he's your brother. And if somebody attacks him, you're on their side, no matter what. Your best friend attacks your brother, and, and you're, you're standing with your brother because he's your brother. And that's kind of the idea behind what Peter is telling us that we're to have between each other, is that when someone bears the name of Christ, that when someone has Jesus in their heart, it doesn't matter if they're different than we are. It doesn't matter what their ideals are. It doesn't matter. None of that matters what matters is you belong to Christ, I belong to Christ, I have a bond and an affection and a love for you because of the common family that we're both a part of. And he's saying that we're to grow in that. And if we grow in that, that's going to cure a lot of the autoimmune uh, issues in the body of Christ because we're going to see that there's a bigger picture than the things that we're dividing over. So the question uh, that we want to ask, first of all, is what does it look like, this idea of brotherly Affection. And so in, in the book of Colossians, the Apostle Paul, so if you want to just kind of turn there, actually you don't have to, it'll, it'll be up on the screen, um, but Colossians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul gives us a contrast. He tells us, first of all, uh, what it doesn't look like. <laughs> And then he tells us what it does look like. And he kind of paints this picture for us of this whole idea of brotherly kindness. And so in Colossians chapter 3, um, oh, there's your definition. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, the Apostle Paul, he says this. And this is the opposite. This is what it doesn't look like. He says, mortify therefore. Now, mortify means put to death. Don't let it come out. It's in you. The potential is there, but don't let it happen. 
He says, mortify, therefore, your members or your, uh, that's not the members of your church. That, that, that would be a bad interpretation of, uh, of the language. You know, your members are your body parts. And so, uh, you know, the parts of your flesh. So mortify, therefore, your flesh, basically, the things that are of the earth. And here he lists them. He says, fornication, uh, that's sexual uncleanness. Um, then uncleanness, that's every other kind of sexual uncleanness uh, than normal. Then inordinate affection. And the word inordinate affection, literally, it means... Uh, hold on a second. Got to turn back and wrote it down because I did. Oh, yes. It means that you want bad things to happen to people. I don't know if you ever feel that (laughs) in the course of your day (laughs) or in dealing with certain people and sometimes even dealing with certain Christians. But sometimes it's a part of our natural tendency. (laughs) I don't know why you guys are laughing so hard. You know, this is what. You know, but it's part of our natural tendency sometimes that we want bad things to happen to people, you know, uh, in varying degrees. And and what he's saying, therefore, is that that's not brotherly kindness, that that's one of those things that you want to put to death, is that that thing that you smile a little bit when, when you see someone that you don't like pulled over by a state trooper, you know, or whatever, you know. He's saying, put that to death. That's not brotherly kindness, you know. That's inordinate affection. It's an affection for something that you probably shouldn't be affectionate about that, you know? And then another one he goes on uh, to say is uh, evil concupiscence. And, and again, it's just big King James words, and I looked them up for you. <laughs> but it basically, essentially, and it's, and it's root meaning, it means to use people. And, you know, that can have a broad definition. You can use people for a lot of different reasons. Um, but, but that's the opposite of brotherly kindness, so where we look at our relationships with other people solely on the basis of what can I get out of it. And if I can get something from you, then we can be on good terms. But if you've got nothing for me, I've got nothing for you. And he's saying that that's the flesh. That's not the way that we're to deal with each other. You know, we're not to wish evil upon people. We're not to have this idea of, well, I just want to get something from you. That's not to drive uh, our love. That's not the reason why we, we do what we do. And then he says in covetousness, which is idolatry, and that's just greed, you know, uh, so wanting to, to just step on someone else and push ourselves ahead of them. And then he, he kind of goes on, uh, and, he, and he talks about the wrath of God coming upon the children of disobedience. But then he, he adds to the list in verse 8, and he says, But now also put off all these, anger, wrath, that, that goes without saying. I don't need to define those things for you. Uh, malice, it's another way of saying ill will, you wish ill on somebody. Uh, or having an ulterior motive. You know, there's malice in your uh, actions. Blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. That's gossip. That's slander. Uh, that's evil speaking, backbiting, talking about someone behind their back, uh, getting, getting conversation out of someone else's life while they're not present. You know, all those things are, are part of it. And then uh, don't lie to each other, he goes on to say in verse 9, seeing that you've put off the old man with his deeds. So all of that is what it is not. That's the opposite. If you find yourself in that territory, you have autoimmune disease. If you're, if you're dealing with people, according to those things, you're attacking the wrong way or the wrong thing. You know. Now he describes what it is. What is brotherly kindness? And so in verse 12... The Apostle Paul says this. He says, put on, therefore. So if we're going to mortify the other things, what are we going to put in its place? Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved. We're we're chosen by him. We've been declared holy and we're loved by God. That's the reason. 
That's why we're to do this. He says, bowels of mercy. Bowels is just another King James verse for means in your heart. So out of the heart, from the root of your being, we're to show mercy to people. We're to show kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. So that's to be our attitude towards other people, is that we're to look at people with, with eyes of mercy, not eyes of judgment, not eyes of evaluation, not eyes of criticism, but rather we're to just look at people and we're to give them the benefit of the doubt. And, and the, the benefit of the doubt literally just means a favorable judgment in the absence of full evidence. And so we're, we're approaching people with the mindset of, you don't have to earn my favor, I'm fronting, I'm forwarding favor to you. I like you before I even know you because you're a Christian. That's the, the mentality of which I'm approaching this. I'm granting you access to my life, and I'm granting you honor, I'm granting you respect, and you're going to have to do something to break that, not do something to earn that. So we're giving it to them on the front side. And then he says this in verse 13. He says, forbearing one another. Now, do you know what forbearing is? Forbearing, for means in front, and bearing means bearing with. Means I'm going to bear with you before you give me a reason to have to bear with you. You understand? You ever have to bear with somebody? You know, someone will come up to you and, and they're, they're, they're not doing it and they'll just say, bear with me on this. Bear with me on this. I know I'm being a burden on you. I'm making you bear a burden. And so to forbear means that you're choosing ahead of time that you're going to allow someone to be a burden in your life and you're going to accept that. You're going to show mercy in it. You're forbearing. Another way you could describe forbearance is forgiveness before the offense comes. That I'm forgiving you before you sin against me. It's already taken care of. I've already decided that I'm going to forgive you. That's forbearing one another. And then he says, and forgiving one another. Now, we know that we're going to do things that offend one another. We're going to say things that are offensive. We're going to do things that sometimes we're going to miss the mark and we're going to fail and, and, and we're going to use somebody. We're going to speak evil of somebody. And we have to go back and we have to say, you know what? I blew it. I, I'm sorry. I sinned against you in this way. And we're not to hold that grudge and say, yeah, yeah, I forgive you. <laughs> But we're to let go of it. We have to forgive one another. If anyone has a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. This is the armor. This is the way it's done. You know, so we we keep Jesus in front of us uh, in that way. And that's how uh, we, we do it. And so this is what it looks like, this whole idea of brotherly kindness. And so then, then you got to ask the next question, because this is kind of challenging, and it's against our nature. You say, well, okay, who exactly is my brother? <laughs> you know, I got you know, to forbear and approach people with mercy. We live in a hostile, fallen world where it's dog-eat-dog. Dog, and if, you know, if I go in as, as a, a meek lamb, I'm just going to get eaten for lunch. You know? And so where's the line drawn between, you know, being a man and being vigilant and, and having some experience in a life full of selfish people, you know, and, and showing brotherly kindness. So where do we draw that line? Who exactly is my brother? Who am I to show this kind of uh, affection towards? Now, interestingly, you know, this sounds like a question Jesus was asked, doesn't it? Remember, I don't know if you remember the story, but there was a, a religious lawyer and he was a young man and he came to Jesus. He was still tender still shaping his ideals and his values, but he was a Jew very much, and he was smart. He was a lawyer. And he came to Jesus, and he, and he said to Jesus, he said, what is the greatest commandment in the law? 
And Jesus said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And then he said, and the second one is like it, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man, he, wasn't, he was actually commended by Jesus, but it says that he was seeking to justify himself when he heard that second thing. He was a lawyer, and that's what lawyers do, right? They, they read the fine print and <laughs> find the loophole. And so it says that he was looking for the loophole. He was seeking to justify himself, and he asked Jesus the question. He said, who is my neighbor, right? Well, who exactly do I have to love like I love myself? What exactly does that mean? And Jesus from there proceeded to give the, the, the parable, the story of the Good Samaritan. You know, there was a certain man, he was a Levite, or he was a man from, he was going from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and as he was going, he falls among thieves. And as he falls among the thieves, they leave, they beat him, they, they rob him, and they leave him naked and leave him for dead. And then as he's there waiting, a Levite comes. A Levite was a priest. A Levite was someone who was chosen by God. A Levite comes, but the Levite doesn't want to be bothered with the man. And so the Levite conveniently passes on the other side of the road and does nothing. And then a priest comes. You know, a priest is someone in their course. They're serving. The Levite could have justified their actions by saying, well, I'm not a priest on duty right now. This isn't my two-month course. But now someone who is on duty comes by. And the priest says, yeah, I got somewhere to go. This is not the day for this kind of thing. And he passes by. He goes down the way. A little while later, a Samaritan comes. And this was where Jesus was going with this. Now, the Samaritans were hated by the Jews. Do you know what the Samaritans were? The Samaritans were brothers, kinda. (laughs) They were brothers from another mother. Uh, A Samaritan was a brother from another mother, really. They were kinda Jews, but they were hated by the Jews because they were not really considered Jews. And so the Samaritan comes, the Samaritan sees the man, he has compassion on him, puts him on his own beast, brings him to an inn, takes care of his wounds, fronts the money to the owner of the, 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 the Airbnb, and says, keep him here. I'll be back in two days. If there's any other expenses incurred, I'll take care of it when I come back. And, uh, and he goes on his way. And then Jesus comes back to reality with the lawyer, and he says, who was neighbor to the man who fell among the thieves? And they said, the Samaritan. He actually didn't say the Samaritan because he didn't want it to be the Samaritan. He said, the one who showed mercy. That was the answer that he gave. And Jesus said, yes, you got it. That's your neighbor. And so, so when we look at this idea of who it is that we're to show brotherly kindness to, the first one is the brother from another mother. That is the brother kinda. <laughs> you know, the person that we're naturally inclined to reject and refuse. The person that's inconvenient. The person that, you know, uh, you see him coming and your tendency is to go the other way. You know, that that person were to show brotherly kindness towards, were to forbear, were to forgive, were to extend bowels of mercy, were to open up our lives to them and not refuse, reject, malign, slander, or gossip about that person. You know, and so that's the first one is the brother from another mother. The, the second person that we're to show brotherly kindness to is the brother from another father, the brother of a different father. Uh, remember the prophet Jonah? I've been fascinated with Jonah lately uh, for one reason. And this is not really related to the study, but since I'm bearing this one, and it's actually a blessing, I'll give it to you too, is, is that, you know, God wanted Jonah to preach to the Ninevites, right? The sermon that Jonah preached to the Ninevites was the weakest sermon that has ever been preached in the history of, of, of preaching. 
I mean, literally, he just said, you guys got 40 days, and if you don't repent, God's going to toast your city. Anybody want to stand for the altar call? (laughs) And the whole entire city repented of their sins. It was the weakest sermon. And here's here's the thing that's amazing me. Anybody could have preached that sermon. Anybody could have done it. And God wanted Jonah to do it so much that God prepared a whale to swallow the man, drive him to Nineveh, throw him up on the shore, and said, no, you're the guy that's going to preach that weak sermon. You know? And it's kind of comforting you know, in the, in the sense that when God has something for you, 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 you ain't getting away from it. <laughs> you know, it's for you. You say, God, send somebody else. He's like, nah, uh <laughs> you know? And it's kind of cool you know, in, in the way. But, but, but here was the thing with Jonah is that Jonah preaches the sermon and he really didn't want to go. And the reason he didn't want to go is because he hated Ninevites. They were foreigners. They represented the enemies of the Jews. They represented an, a, a system and ideals that were completely contrary to those of his own people. And he didn't want them to be saved because he had a natural hatred for them. They were brothers from a different father. And so they would be brothers, but they weren't yet. And it was going to be the brotherly kindness that was going to win them. And how do I know that? Because when God was dealing with Jonah after the fact, God was like, Jonah, why is your attitude so bad right now? You know, Jonah's attitude was horrible. He was very angry at God that God saved the Ninevites. That's how much he hated the Ninevites. He didn't even want them born again. Didn't even want them changed hearts. They have that blood, that color. I hate them. Get them out of my face. That was Jonah's attitude. And God said, Jonah, why are, you, why are you having such a hard time with this? There's 120,000 little kids in Nineveh. They don't know their right hand from their left. Why should I destroy them? And Jonah's reply to God, as his boldness, he said, God, I didn't want to go here because I knew you were going to be kind. <laughs> That's what Jonah said. He goes, I knew you would be kind. I knew you were going to, listen, I knew you would show kindness to people that weren't even saved yet, to the brother from another father. And I knew that kindness would bring them to, I'm going to have to spend eternity now with these people. Because <laughs> I knew you would show kindness. And see, sometimes our kindness has an effect on people that we don't understand. And so sometimes even someone who we would look at and we'd say they're slimy, they're vile, they represent completely different ideals than we do. They're as far from saved. They're so hostile even to the things that we believe in. I don't even know how to be kind to that person. God says, I want you to grow in brotherly kindness to the brother that has a different father. There's a third uh, person that we're to show brotherly kindness to, and that is the brother with another lover. So not just the brother from another mother, the brother from a different father, but also the brother that has a different lover. You, You say, what in the world is that? Well, I want to read to you from Romans chapter 2. The brother that has another lover is the brother who is a Christian, perhaps, but they're not maybe living in a perfect love towards God at the present time. Their, their, their affections are given to something else. They're living in sin in some degree. They've wandered from, the, from God. I want you to just listen to, to what Paul says here to us. Romans chapter 2. I think, did I put this in here? I did. I'm so good. Good to you guys. He says, therefore... Romans chapter 2, verse 1, he says, Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whosoever you are that judges. For wherein you judge another, you condemn yourself, 
for you that judges does or do the same things. Now, that, that's just an interesting truth that you can use in your own mind as a check. Let me ask you a question. When you see, when you see someone, right, out, out and they, they are using drugs on the side of the street, and, you, and let's just say for a minute that's not your issue. I'm assuming most of you aren't drug users in here that that's not your struggle. Probably some of you it is, but you know, I'm talking to those of you that it's not right now. You know? And you see someone on the, on the road and they're using drugs. Do you, do you, in your heart, really, do you drive by and go, that vile, wretched, sinful, wicked person? No, you usually just go, oh, man, you know, that person's lost, and you, you, know, you kind of feel some compassion, right? But then if you see someone at the Asia buffet, and they are just plowing food seven plates later, eight plates later, you know, and, and you go, that filthy, wretched, you know, usually where we struggle is where we come down the hardest on other people. That's just kind of human nature. When someone doesn't have our struggle, we're just like, eh, poor person, you know, whatever. But when someone struggles with what we struggle with, that wickedness, let that be a check engine light in you. That when you find yourself really like agitated at someone else's sin, check yourself. Because that's what Paul's saying here. He's saying, listen, you're inexcusable, you that judge, because you that judge, you're, you're guilty of the same things. And then he goes on to say this. He says, And do you think this, O man, that judges them which do such things and you do the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? In other words, listen, it isn't the judgment of God or the wrath of God or the fear of punishment from God that's going to bring someone around when they're not walking rightly. God knows that. That the thing that's going to win someone to a right relationship with themselves is his patience and his kindness in the midst of the situation and the thing that they're going through. That's what wins people. See, condemnation, judgment, you know, those kind of things, that just pushes people further away. It ostracizes, hardens people. The proverb says that whoever is often reproved, they harden their neck, they stiffen their neck, and that without remedy. But kindness and forbearance and grace gives people to evaluate their lifestyle decisions and then come to a conclusion of whether or not they're, they're going the right way, and it's the goodness of God that turns people back around. And so how does that apply to you and I is that when we see somebody that we know is a Christian and they're struggling in a certain area, and it could be broad, whatever it is, it's not going to be judgment that we show them that's going to help. Or, you know, I need to talk to you about a few things and set you straight, brother. It's going to be the kindness that we show. We're to show brotherly kindness, forbearance, forgiveness, mercy, acceptance, embracing someone who's in a backslidden state because that's going to turn them around. And so a brother with another lover. A fourth is a brother with another cover. (laughs) A brother with another cover is a brother or a sister that goes to a different church than we do. They worship under a different roof than we do. And maybe, maybe they have a different set of priorities in their Christian experience than we do, or maybe slightly different ideals in gray areas, the tenets of the faith, you know, Jesus died and rose again, virgin born, sinless Christ, resurrected, returning, all those things are in place, but they do things a little bit differently than we do. They're of a different uh, thing. 
and, and, and we're to embrace and love the body of Christ regardless of the denomination or the structure or the form of worship that someone else uh, has. The, the problem with Christians is that we oftentimes, we choose to defend concepts rather than to walk in love with each other. And so we see someone uh, doing things differently, or they put a higher priority on worship and maybe less of a priority on the Word, or vice versa, or maybe there's some that are more liturgical um, and and less free, and and some that are more expressive and some less. And we tend to get into the nitty-gritty of concepts and the finer things, and that is the essence of where autoimmune disorder comes from, is that we begin to mistake brother for enemy, and trouble begins there. And so we're to embrace and show kindness to people that have a different covering. Uh, And then there's a fifth one, a final one, a person that we're to show brotherly kindness to, and that is a brother that actually hovers. (laughs) And the verse for this is Hebrews chapter 1, or I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. And it says this, it says, let brotherly love, that's Philadelphia, let Philadelphia continue Be not forgetful to entertain or show kindness to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. In other words, it has happened. And and whoever wrote Hebrews is telling us that it still can happen. That someone in your presence might not actually be someone. (laughs) That you could actually be interacting with an angel, and you don't even know it. And he's saying, show brotherly kindness because you don't want to be putting off someone that God put in your life to do something for you or to be something to you. You know, I think of Jesus when he, when he resurrected uh, from the dead. And, and, you know, this really touches why this is such an important thing, this whole idea of brotherly kindness. is because Jesus three times after his resurrection, at least three times, showed up in places where the people that he was interacting with didn't know it was him. I mean, can you imagine Jesus comes to you and you don't know that it's Jesus? You want to be real careful how you, how you behave, <laughs> right, in, in that situation. You know, and, and, and just think about it for one second. What, what, was the, what was one of them? We talked about it Wednesday night, is that Jesus showed up as a fellow tradesman. The, the disciples were out on the Sea of Galilee. They had fished all night. They were tired. They caught nothing. And here's this guy on the land. He's got a couple of fish. He looks like a fisherman. That's like you're a carpenter. You're on the job with carpenters. And this guy on the street side, he's wearing a tool belt, and he looks like a carpenter. He's just Jesus, though. <laughs> you just don't know it. And here's this guy. He's got a string full of fish. He's all by himself. He's on the, the seaside with a little bed of coals there. And he shouts out to them, you guys catch anything last night? And they're like, shut up. You know, you jerky holding three fish. No, we didn't catch anything. Just ignore that guy. You know, here was this guy. He was a fellow tradesman. He gave them a piece of advice. Throw your net on the other side of the ship. Yeah, I'll show you where you can throw the net. You know, we've thrown the net all night, you know. But they said, all right. And they took a bit of advice. It takes some humility, doesn't it? I mean, you're a tradesman in here and some, to some degree. It takes a little bit of humility to receive advice from a stranger of the same trade. And especially when the advice they give you is stupid. Right? They throw the net on this side. Swing your hammer with your left hand. Yeah. <laughs> and they got trade advice from Jesus 
But to them, he was just a stranger. It says specifically that they didn't know that it was Jesus, and they caught 153 fish in one swoop. See why brotherly kindness is so important? Because sometimes, sometimes God might want to give you something from someone that naturally you're not inclined to receive it from. And brotherly kindness opens the door for you to receive it. In another moment, Mary Magdalene had come early to the tomb. She saw the stone roll away and the body of Jesus was gone. She was the original Spice Girl, by the way. She came with spices early in the morning. And the body was gone and the gardener was there and it was not really the gardener, it was Jesus. She didn't know that. She supposed that he had been the gardener. And he says, why are you weeping, woman? And she has a choice right now. Brotherly kindness or I'm going through things right now that you have no idea what I've been through. And if you even think for one minute that you're going to ask a woman why she's crying, you don't know anything about, you know, and she starts doing the little head weave and, you know, the, you know, but, but no, like she says, they've taken the body of my life. She engages a stranger, not knowing who it was, turns out to be Jesus. By the end of the conversation, the greatest truth that would ever impact her life has been imparted to her through a conversation that she had with a stranger in an unexpected moment. A third time that it happened was on the road to Emmaus. Jesus was walking with two men who had no idea that it was Jesus. He appeared in another form. Can you imagine having that power? How cool would that be? You could just change your, your, your appearance and go walk with someone for a while. We would use that in the most destructive selfish <laughs> ways. I mean, just for one, I mean, just think about the level of manipulation that you could impose on people if you could just appear in whatever form you wanted and walk with them for a little while. Man, they should make a movie about that. <laughs> but Jesus did it, and he's safe. And he walked with these disciples on the road to Emmaus, and he just started asking questions. He's like, yeah, you guys look kind of depressed. What's going on? They open up a little bit, and they say, yeah, haven't you heard what's going on these days? And, you know, they start talking back and forth. And Jesus begins to give to them the greatest Bible study that was ever given in the history of mankind. It was an eight-mile Bible study. They walked for eight miles. You you know, hey, what, what, 40 minutes a mile? That's a long sermon. And it says that he began with Moses, that's Genesis, and he went all the way through the prophets, that's all the way to Malachi, the entire Old Testament, and he expounded to them all of the places that talked about the life, death, and resurrection of the Christ when he would come. That's cool. They had a choice, though, when that stranger joined them. They said, you know, this is kind of private business. We got some personal things that we got to talk about. We're working through some things. We appreciate it. Can we give you some money for lunch? You can be on your way. But they engage this man, they don't know who he is, and he imparts to them the greatest truth that was ever given in all the history of humanity. And see, here's the reality when it comes to this thing of brotherly kindness, that the body of Christ is very large. And God will sometimes use something from the most unexpected source to impart to you and I some of the most valuable things that we'll ever have or receive. And brotherly kindness is what opens the door for us to receive it. I was saved... Um, at the age of 19 and was quickly introduced to Calvary Chapel Ministries and fell in love with it because of the teaching of the Bible line upon line and verse by verse. And because it was such a healthy environment that I was brought up in, in the faith, uh, it felt very safe to me. And over time, something subtle happened in my spirit that I didn't realize was happening is that because it was such a safe space for me, 
I began to shut out other portions of the body. Not, not, not consciously and certainly not in my profession, but it was happening internally. It was happening in a way wherein like I would evaluate, where are you from? Okay, you're Pentecostal. That's not where I am. I've got nothing to gain from you. I'm, I'm good where I am. Someone else maybe was maybe a little bit more Baptist, a little bit more traditional, a little bit, and I don't mean to throw out those names like that, but maybe just traditional, we'll say. And I'll say, well, where are you at? Okay, you're over on this side. I'm more here. I don't have anything to receive from you. And I kind of encapsulated myself into the tradition that I was a part of. And it was good. I mean, you guys know, line upon line, verse by verse, we believe in the Spirit. You know, we have all these things. But there was this thing that was happening to me where I was closing myself off from the majority, really, of the body of Christ because I felt comfortable in my safe space. And it turned out to be not, not a very uh, great place for me to be. So, so here's what happened, and this is how God broke me out of that. Um, because, because really, any tradition, whether it's you know, traditional or more expressive, any tradition becomes a tradition, right? And it kind of carries its ideals. And so within the Calvary Chapel tradition... You know, there was, there was the subtle of, well, we don't do that. We don't believe like that. We don't do Rick Warren. We don't do Joel Olstein. We don't do T.D. Jakes. We don't do, you know, the, these things. And you kind of go like, yeah, yeah, you know, I'm good where I am. I'm good where I am. I'm good where I am. good where I am, you know. And then somehow, and I don't even know the ABC of how it happened, someone turned me on to a podcast uh, that's run by a church leader up in Canada. And what he does is he, he, he publishes a weekly podcast where he just interviews different Christian leaders from all over the world. Sometimes they're authors, sometimes they're pastors, sometimes they're worship leaders. Sometimes, like the the most recent one, uh, he interviewed a woman who works for Facebook on a faith-based platform, and she's a born-again Christian. So he interviews everybody. I mean, they just could be any anything. And so I started listening. I really enjoyed the podcast because of the, the people that he was talking to and the types of questions he was answering, and there was just so much insight to be gained. And so he's interviewing people I've never heard of before, never heard of these people, pastors, leaders, you know, and I'm learning so much. I'm gaining so much. I'm, that's so good. That's so good. That's so wise. That's so, I've never heard anything like that before. This is just brilliant. You know, the whole thing. After a while, I started asking myself, who are these people <laughs> that he's interviewing? And so I went on a Google search, and I started Googling some of these names that I never heard of. And what I found out in Googling these names, that's a person I would never listen to. That's a person I would never receive from. That's a person who, if I even knew them ahead of time, I wouldn't have even listened to this interview. And then the Lord began to to speak to me and say, wait a minute, you've gained some pretty remarkable things from people that you have decided have nothing to add to you. And I began to realize what I had done subtly. And in closing myself in traditional walls and pushing out other people, I was keeping myself from receiving things that other parts of the body of Christ have to give to me. That's where autoimmune disease in the body of Christ begins. You can't be effective and perfectly honor your tradition because it just doesn't work like that. And so the body of Christ is bigger. You know, God has something for us to give, and he also has something for us to receive. 
And if we let it happen that we become enclosed in ourselves or enclosed in our little group and we shut other people out and we're not growing in brotherly kindness, then what's going to happen is that we're going to become barren and unfruitful. Now, back to 1 Peter or 2 Peter chapter 1, right? What does Peter conclude with when he's telling us to add brotherly kindness to us? He tells us, if you don't, you will become what? Barren and unfruitful. Is that you're cutting yourself off from blossoming as a Christian if you do this. And the solution to it is to have an open heart to embrace the whole body of Christ. That we're to have brotherly kindness. Because God is going to, you know, in the most unsuspecting way, do something in your life through the most unsuspecting person, but if your heart is closed off to them, if there isn't a bowel, a heart of mercy, tenderness, forbearance, honor before I even know you, then I can miss out on it. And so Peter bids us to embrace the body. It's very hard to both honor your tradition and reach the lost because culture changes too quickly. And tradition locks you into a place where you can't reach outside of it. And a funny thing happened yesterday. Um, you guys know the cross in the sanctuary on the wall. It's backlit. And some of the, the lights in the rope light went out. So I took it down and changed out the rope light. And in order to do it, I had to um, kind of hollow out the back a little bit more to make room for the, the cords and the different things that are inside of it. So I had the, the cross outside in the back of the building. And I was chiseling it out and working the whole thing. And the IT guy that works on the other side of the hall, uh, he parks back there, and he, you know, real cool um, guy named Dexter. He's real loud. You know, if if you're ever here during the week, you probably hear him. He's just crazy. And he he comes out, and and I'm sitting there, and I've picked up the cross, and I'm blowing the the sawdust out of the thing, and he engages me in a conversation. So I'm standing there, and I'm holding this cross, and I'm leaning on it, and he starts asking me questions about Jesus. And he says to me, he goes, he goes, can I ask you a question? And, and he's got a little bit of a West Indian, like Jamaican type accent. And he's like, I, I've made these changes in my life recently because I just want to cleanse my spirit. And he goes, am I on the right track? And so I just began to share Jesus with him, you know, that it really doesn't matter what track you're on. You know, none of these things are really going to take. He said, but I feel it, man. I feel the spirit. I said, yeah, because Jesus said the spirit is with you, but he said that the spirit can be in you, you know, and this is how that happens. And so really for about 20, 30 minutes, I'm sharing Jesus. Well, there's another thing that happens here at this building. And I don't know how anybody in this building actually gets any work done, you know, on the other side of the hall, because all the people on the other side of the hall do is walk around the building all day. Like if you just sit here, they just all day long, they're just walking laps around the building, you know. And it must be like this healthy at work initiative that the state is doing. I don't know what it is, you know, but people just walking around the building all day. So here's the scene. I'm standing on the back step with a cross that's taller than I am, that weighs like 150 pounds, and I'm talking to this guy, Dexter, and I'm sharing with him, and all of a sudden this group of people come walking around the side of the building, and I realize what it looks like. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting here, I'm holding this big old cross, and I'm preaching at the guy that works in the building, and, and so I saw the people, and I laughed, I said, this isn't what it looks like, and they start laughing too, because I, I look like one of those old school street preachers that's standing on the corner and telling everyone to repent, you know, and the whole thing, <laughs> you know, and I was actually embarrassed, you know, the whole thing. You know, but it highlighted this, this point to me more than anything is that, you know, like, listen, if you really want to reach somebody, if you really want to make a difference in somebody's life, sometimes you got to drop your traditional 
you know, ways of thinking of how things are going to go. And you have to realize that we have to meet people where they're at. We have to show up on the shores of Nineveh, having just been puked out by a whale, not a hair on our body, bleached white as a ghost, you you know, uh, pierced with fish bones, you know, whatever else, because sometimes that's what's going to get someone's attention. You know, and we have to realize, what's our objective? What are we really all about here? What am I trying to defend? You know, what's my real purpose here? And if we want to be fruitful, if we don't want our lives to be barren, then we need to be growing in this whole idea of just showing brotherly kindness to people. Otherwise, we're going to turn the battle inward. We're going to create an autoimmune disease in the body of Christ where it's us versus you. It's our roof versus your roof. My mother versus your mother. You're not really my brother because of your cover or your other lover or whatever else it is. Peter says, knock it off. Open up your heart. It's not manly to be isolated. Brotherly love. Kindness. There's a bond that we have. Receive from one another. Give to one another. Don't evaluate first. Front load the honor. Front load forbearance. Front load forgiveness. You'll bear good fruit. Amen. Thanks for joining us for the Pastor Nick Santo podcast. To regularly receive these teachings, be sure to subscribe so that you can get it automatically when it's released. If you find this material helpful, please share it and help us get the message of Jesus out to others. We also appreciate your feedback. So if you would, leave a review in iTunes or email us at pastor.nickpc at gmail.com. Until next time, may you continue to love, learn, and live the way of Jesus.